Well, good morning, Hallmark. It's great to see you all today. I uh, want to thank Pastor John for this privilege of addressing you today. I never take it lightly uh, when a pastor allows me to, to stand before his congregation. But what a day to be able to do that. What a day of celebration, amen. Seven baptisms, are you kidding me? That's what it's all about right there. And that's why we do this, and we're so glad that we get to be here today. But also today with the, the children in here, the kids' service, the family worship, that's another privilege. And then the topic we're going to be talking about today about marriage and the family, all that is a great privilege, and I'm glad to be a part of that. And I'm excited about what God's going to say to us. I, I think he's going to encourage us. I think he's got some challenge for us. I'm looking forward to what he's going to say. My name is Steve. Um, I was the one introduced last week by Pastor Haley as the young man with old hair, okay? <laughs> don't know what he was talking about. I don't get that, but uh, I am that young man. My wife, Shelly, and I have the privilege of serving as missionaries with Manna Worldwide uh, as directors in Africa, but we also have the joy of calling Hallmark our home, our home church, our family. And we are so glad to be here and part of this congregation and being able to, to do what we do here in this community, in this world through Hallmark. We also had the privilege this week, as Nathan mentioned earlier, to have a time together with several special couples. As we had just a marriage conference the last couple of days, we spent time truly reminding ourselves, being encouraged together, being challenged a bit about the, the gift of marriage that God has given, and that is truly a gift. The gift of marriage, the gift of your spouse, all the things that we were learned and encouraged about. And so it's been a great weekend. We're looking forward to seeing what God's going to continue to do today because I think he has something in mind for us. So today, yes, I'm gonna have an emphasis on marriage and on couples, but I promise that, every, that what we're gonna say today is going to be appropriate, uh, relevant for all of us. Regardless of your age or your marital position, God has something for you to hear today. We've been in a series here at Hallmark this month called Relationship Status. And during this, this series, we've talked about, specifically a phrase has come up often, and that is about finding the one. Well, today, here's going to be the way we talk about it. Today, we're gonna talk about finding the one that you can fight with for the rest of your life. Some of you are saying, well, if that's marriage, I found it. That's it right there, I, I get you, okay? But here's what we're talking about. Finding the one, what we've learned and what we've been studying even the last couple of days, finding the one has, a, has to do with finding the oneness that God has designed in marriage. Oneness in marriage is a miracle. It's a miracle that only God can do. It's a benefit, a blessing of the marriage relationship. In fact, the verse that we've seen for the last three weeks and we saw yesterday several times, Genesis chapter number two, Verse number 24 describes this miracle. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the last phrase says, and they shall become one flesh. That's a miracle of God. It's a blessing of marriage. But it also brings with it some incredible benefits that God has designed. But the one that I want to talk about today, I believe, often gets overlooked, the benefit that God has designed for us in this marriage. To do that, let me back up a couple of verses. If you have your Bibles in Genesis chapter 2, we're going to back up to verse number 18, where all of this, before it gets its beginning of this marriage relationship, it all starts with this setting. Verse 18, then the Lord God said... And this is interesting, we learned in scripture, this is the first time you see this, it is not good. 
We've seen all through the creation, everything was good, very good in fact, but something is not good. Now that doesn't mean that God had made a mistake. What that word good means there in that passage is something's not complete. Creation's not done yet. And this is how he describes it. It is not good that a man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. When God made Adam, that was a, the perfect creation that he made, but he said there's something that's not quite done yet, and to finish this creation, I'm gonna make a helper fit. Let's look at that phrase for a minute. A fit helper. Uh, that word fit, that's an interesting kind of a word to translate it. He wasn't talking as in physically fit. You know, we're not talking an athletic specimen when he talks about fit. What he's talking about is fit as inappropriate for him. Literally, he means someone like him. If you look in the next couple of verses, Adam actually is going to have the, have the job of naming all of the animals. And in this naming of animals, as they progress by him, uh, Adam begins to notice something. He begins to notice that there is a he and a she cow. There's a he and a she horse. There's a he and a she giraffe. There's a he and a she hippopotamus. My guess is Eve named that one. That's just beside the point. But anyway, he and a she, okay, he, there's all of this, but there's no one like him. He is seeing all of this, and they seem to come in pairs, but there's no one like him, fit for him. So this helper, this fit helper, is the one that God is going to say, I'm going to make someone like him. Someone of his same species, someone of his same likeness, but notice that the word is a fit helper for him. Boy, that's a powerful word, beautiful scriptural word. But please understand that that word helper is not demeaning at all. He's not saying that the wife is the one that just does all the stuff that he doesn't want to do. You're the helper. You're the, you're the helping, the hired hand that comes along and does all, the helper is a beautiful word. In fact, Throughout the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, one of the words that God uses to describe himself for his people is their helper, the one who comes along to help them. We're talking about someone like Adam that's going to come alongside and be his helper, to be his partner. And in this, in this idea, this companionship, it goes both ways. The man is the helper for the woman. This is the relationship that God is creating. So what is this helper? What does it mean when they're going to help? What is it actually going to help them to do? Well, look at verse number 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. One of the first things that God does is he said, here's the garden, I want you to take care of it. We also already said they're going to name the animals. There's actually this work that they're going to do in partnership together. Last Sunday, if you were here, we had a wonderful message from Pastor Haley. And Pastor Haley described this beautiful picture from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Maybe you remember the verse he used, verse number 9, if he said this, two are better than one. That's the verse in Ecclesiastes because they have a good reward for their labor. They can work together. I love this picture, right? The guy's picking up the couch. I don't know how many of you guys do that. In our family, it's more like me. My wife says, I can't reach that. Will you reach that? I don't know why that is. I have older ladies in the store will come to me and say, young man, will you get that off? The I, I just have that kind of effect on people, right? But it's a matter of two are better than one because they can, they, together they can do more. What a great privilege. What a great opportunity. That's part of what God has designed in marriage. But I don't want you to miss something here. There's another 
benefit of this working together that I believe is introduced in the next verses between verse 15 and verse 18, where he talks about making this helper, an area in which God introduces this duo, this husband and wife, are gonna be able to help each other in a very special way. Verse 16 says this, the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. I guarantee you Adam had no idea how powerful that command was going to be and the effect it was going to have on his life. In just, based off scripture, it won't take long before he would come into most vicious battle, the life-changing battle of his life as there's an enemy that wants to destroy him, wants to take him out. And for the battle of his life, Adam's getting prepared and it's with that in mind that we read verse 18. Look what verse 18 says. Then, after God gave that command, then the Lord said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Can I share with you what I believe God is telling us here? That from this passage, if you remember back to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 again, if you keep reading in that passage, it says two are better than one. That's verse 9. But verse number 12 says that though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. One of the things God has made us for, married couples, is to be able to face the enemy but not have to face him alone. He's put us together as married couples that we, are fight, we can now fight him together. From the very beginning, one of the things that God said, he knew the battle was coming. We know in Ecclesiastes that has to do with it, got your back. Well, that should be a given, but there's gonna be times when we have to face the enemy face on, but we don't have to face them alone. If I can get to this, understand what I want you to understand for this passage. The two shall become one so they can stand together against the enemy. I hope married couples, husbands and wives, are you getting this? God puts you together for a lot of reasons, but one of them is so you can stand and fight together against an enemy that wants to take you out, wants to take out your family. God has made marriage for that reason. Isn't this incredible? What a strategy God has given. He actually gives Adam a battle buddy. You might rather call him your brother or sister in arms, but he's your battle buddy. Someone to come alongside you in this life to help you to fight the battles that we're going to face together against an enemy that wants to destroy us. Here's what I know. This marriage relationship is a powerful force. And I truly believe that Satan is afraid of what can happen in a marriage that stands together. I believe Satan wants to take this out and that's why immediately, and I think the timing is kind of interesting, that the temptation for man to sin, Satan had been there, but the temptation doesn't come until after God has put the marriage relationship together. And after God has now formed them as marriage, in, in marriage in this thing, and now we have Satan coming after because he knows that together, this dynamic duo of a husband and wife with God's power standing against the devil, that's a force to be reckoned with. So here's what happens, Genesis chapter three, verse number one. The serpent was crafty, more crafty than any other beast of the field the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Now here's the serpent, which we later will know, we know clearly is the devil, right? But specifically, do you notice what he goes after? He goes after that command that God gave them. 
He immediately goes to that thing where God said about eating of the tree. And now he begins to put a little doubt, a little distrust in there. Did God, did God really say? And then he moves from distrust in the next verses to just out and out denial. He said, God, you won't die. God knows you're missing out on something, that you're missing something in life if you do this. And then worst case scenario, look what happens. Verse six, the woman saw the tree was good. It was the delight to the eyes. It was desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit. She gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Who was with her? We talked about that phrase a lot, but here's what I want you to understand. They had the opportunity to fight together. They had the opportunity, he was right there beside her. They had the opportunity to do exactly how God created them, to fight this enemy together who he was with her, two soldiers facing the enemy, and the enemy ends up getting them hiding and blaming themselves and, and literally fighting against one another rather than fighting him. I read this quote, see if it rings true with you. Marriage is warfare. It's warfare against our flesh, selfishness, pride, sin, and against an enemy who would constantly sell us the lie that any other way could be possibly be better than God's. Satan is still wanting to make us believe that something that is out there is better than what God has offered us and make that something can be better than what God has designed for us. And God says now we have a, a different picture and I want you to see it, the difference now on the screen. Rather than fighting side by side and fighting the devil, now we're fighting each other. If the devil can get us from focusing on him and fighting together against him, but turning and believing that now the fight is between us, now our focus is off him and he's, he's diffused the power that we can possibly have in following him. God's plan, two become one. Satan's tactic, let me get those two and attack their oneness until they're fighting each other and they'll leave me alone. The power of God's plan in marriage is that we could take on this enemy together. Now, if you have your Bibles, again, your electronic devices, I want to spend just the next few minutes in the book of 1 Peter. Because 1 Peter chapter 5 paints a different but yet very powerful picture of this same enemy that they fought in the garden and that we're still fighting today and we will continue to fight as individuals, as families, as couples, as children. There's still an enemy, but look how he's described. 1 Peter 5 and verse number 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This truth is universal. For everyone in this room, there is an enemy, and he wants to take you out. There's an enemy, and he wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your future. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your family, your kids. He wants to destroy your hope and your purpose. He has no other design but that he wants to destroy you and to do it if he could for eternity. We are at war, folks. We have to understand that, that there is a war. There is an enemy. And I truly believe that one of his primary targets is to attack that marriage relationship because if we fight together, there is a force that can take it out. But he's gonna attack in whatever you can, our marriages, our families. So my question is, wherever you are in this life, married or not, how can we fight this battle more effectively? 
How do we fight this, wage this war that we find ourselves in? I'm gonna give you three thoughts from this passage that I think three strategies that God gives us. Whether you're married couples, singles, wherever you are, take these to, to heart. There's three things we need to do. Number one, we have to identify and assess our enemy. We have to identify and assess who our true enemy is. Go back to our verse, 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Sober-minded, watchful. It means be vigilant, be awake, be alert, be understand. One pastor put it this way, don't get caught slipping. Have, look, watch your back. Be awake and alert to what is happening around you because you have an adversary, an enemy, and he ain't playing. He wants to destroy us. Peter identifies this enemy as the devil, the slanderer. The word is diabolos. He wants to, he wants to do whatever he can. And the, the devil's described in several ways throughout Scripture. We've already seen one. He's a serpent. He's also referred to as an angel of light in some places, talking about his his craftiness and he's tricky and he wants to do whatever he can to take us out. But there's also in, in John chapter number 10, he's referred to as a thief. And in that passage, he says, and the thief comes with one goal, that is to destroy us, to kill, to sit, steal, to destroy, to take us out. And whatever, he, there is an enemy. My, the first thought we have to make sure is never underestimate the enemy. The enemy wants to take us out. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to remove that hope that we've heard so much about in baptism. What God has done, if he can stop you before you get there, that's his goal because he wants you never to experience that kind of hope, never to experience what God can do in your life, in our families. At least three different, different battlefields you're gonna face, whether it's your personal heart, as a, as, a, uh, as a married couple, a husband, wife, or anyone in the family, your heart and the things that you are fighting against. Or maybe it's your household, your family, or maybe it's the community which God has put us in. Do you realize the devil wants to say, oh, the family really doesn't matter. Your marriage isn't that important. It's not, what we do here is it's irrelevant. We need to deconstruct all this family marriage stuff. Don't buy the lie. Satan is trying to destroy you. But God says together, there is power in what he's given us, this, this relationship to do something. Be sober, be vigilant, identify and assess your enemy. Speaking of lions, I want to show you a picture. I hope you can see it on the screen. It's a picture, and it's a little grainy, but it's a true picture taken by some folks from this church who were in Kenya in 2021. That's actually a lion crawling through the fence of the compound in which they were staying. That's exciting stuff, isn't it? I've heard a lot of great stories about that picture and, and the things that were going on. But I, I just was thinking about that picture and this idea of lion, and my thought came to my mind, what would I do if I came across a lion? You know, I, I'm going to Africa quite a bit. What if I see a lion and I'm not in the safety of that car? What do I do? It's interesting. They actually have things you can do when you face a lion. I actually found some. Let me put them up on the screen because I think they're very helpful. So if you ever face a lion, if you encounter a lion, number one, don't panic. Okay, everybody say, yeah, right. What's the first thing you're gonna do if you're gonna cross a lion? Ah, right, you're gonna panic, okay? Number two is kind of the same, don't run. Second natural reaction, feet don't fail me now, I'm out of here, right? Don't panic. Don't run. Now, this, la this third one is crazy. Look brave. <laughs> the stuff running on my leg would probably be a giveaway, okay? <laughs> let's, just be, let's just be honest. 
I, I lost all bravery. But here's what it actually said in this thing. It said to look the lion right in the eye. Nope, <laughs> not doing that. Look him in the eye because he will, you will scare him. I, I, don't, I don't believe this, I really don't. But the last one is have your spear ready. Now the spear may be an old weapon, but the picture is the same. If he does attack and he does lurch, be ready because the attack's coming. Now that's something you might want to use next time you go to Africa and I'm keeping it in my back pocket, right? But there's some also some great things we can learn in this battlefield we have. Let me give you the next thought. Not only assess and identify your enemy, face the enemy with proper confidence. Here's what I want you to get at. Never underestimate your enemy. Satan wants to destroy you, but never overestimate him either. Never overestimate the power that he has. He, he wants to come off big and roaring and, and large, and he is. He's ferocious, he's bloodthirsty. But look how Peter says what we're to do, verse nine, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Look at that last part. First of all, wherever you are in your, your walk and whatever you're struggling with, whatever the, the issues are, whatever the fights, whatever the addictions, whatever the, the, that you're finding, do you understand that there are people around the world that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have mutual understanding. There are others that are suffering through some of the same things. Get that, but look what he says. In these battles... He says the first thing is rather than run, what do you do? You resist. Resist the devil. Now remember, he's an enemy. He wants to destroy you, but you resist him. That means to stand against him, to oppose him, to say, no, no, you're not doing that here. That's not going to happen in my family. Not going to happen. We are never told in Scripture to run from Satan. There are several times we're told to flee certain circumstances or certain situations that are, that are not, but we are never told to run from Satan. In fact, James chapter 4, verse number 7 James writes it this way, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and somebody tell me, he will flee from you. Understand, Christians, this is the power that we have in that bag of, that God has given us. We, we are not, we have an enemy who wants to destroy us, but we have the power through what God has done in our lives to resist him and to see him flee from us. But there's a common thread, don't miss this. In all of this thinking that we're talking, this, this common thread of what, that there's an enemy and he wants to destroy us, understand, he is beatable. He wants to make you think that he's too big and he's too bad, but he's beatable, but you can't beat him in your own strength. Did you notice in both verses, chapter five and nine of 1 Peter, that we are to resist him firm in your faith. It's not your determination and your willpower that's gonna beat Satan in your life. It's the power of God. In fact, James said it, remember right before he said, resist the devil, what does he say? Submit yourselves to God. It's submitting to God's power. It's growing in your relationship with him. It's moving your relationship so that you have his power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ defeated Satan once and for all. He is a defeated foe. And the Bible says that that resurrection power lives in us. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We have that within us. We can stand and we can stand strong, but we have to stand in the right confidence. And that is that it's not us, but I need to grow in my walk with God. I need to, to allow him to do what he is doing in my life. So when I submit to him, the devil has to run. There's a song about that. Run, devil, run. Not because I'm strong, but because God is strong. In fact, Ephesians chapter number six tells us to tr be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
You can do this, but you can't do it your own, on yourself. It's, a, it's submitting yourself, surrendering yourself, following him, and it allows you even, it says, to be able to withstand, verse 13. That's our same word, resist, in the evil day. And then he wraps all that up with this verse, praying in the spirit. Praying, you, how do you put on this armor? How do you, because you're submitting to God, you clothe yourself. You, you, and he says to keep alert with all perseverance. There's our word again. Remember, couples, married couples, you and your spouse in unity together are a force God made to attack the enemy, to, to do warfare in a way that is effective, but you can't do it on your own. You're gonna need the power of God's spirit in you. Let me get to the last thing in 1 Peter chapter number five, verse number 10, and that is this, expect God to do the incredible. Let me say that again. Expect God to do the incredible. Look at verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He does say it being a little while. Never know exactly how long a little while is, do you? And we all wish that a little while was shorter than it is. But God makes a promise. He says, the devil is strong, but you can resist him. Through my power, you can do what is called and he will flee. And, a, and in a little while, I want you to see what God says will happen. In a little while, understand, it may take some time in your opinion, but God is never late. God is never panicked. God is never weak. He will always deliver. And some of the things that you're thinking about that may be hopeless, that you may think it'll never be changed, whether it's in your life or in your marriage, in your family, it seems like it's too big, it's too far gone. We still have a God. Look at this, the God, the God of all grace. Oh man, that's amazing. The God of all grace, no matter what I have, his grace is always sufficient. And he's the same God who, as it says in this verse, has called you to eternal glory. Now look at the next words. That God will himself do this. Picture this. God himself steps into your life and does something that you can't do. God himself can make a difference. He loves to do the impossible wherever your life is, and he still does incredible things. Look at those four words real quick. Look at what he says. He will restore, which means to mend, put things back together. Is that, is that a word that your marriage needs today? It looks like everything has fallen apart. You need some mending God says, I can step in and mend. He says, I will confirm, which means to support or establish, to turn in a new direction. Whoever you are, do you need to know a renewed direction of God's moving in your life? God says, he himself will step in and do this. He says, he will strengthen you, give you vigor, make you strong. You think, I can't do this anymore. This is too hard. I'm just going to quit. It's just not worth it. God says, let me step in and give you strength. And then the last word he said, and establish you, which literally means put you on a firm foundation. Wow, that takes us all the way back to our first lesson in this series with Pastor John. Where we can, in the middle of life's whatever passes, we build our house, our homes, our marriages on a foundation of the rock. And so when the storms come, we can still stand strong. That's because God himself moves in and does something Incredible. We've been looking at the last few weeks that picture of the triangle that we saw the first week. And that triangle is a great picture of our relationship with God, our marriages. And at the top of that triangle is God. On the side of this side is, is me, this side is my wife, or this your spouse. 
And as you look at that, the, the picture is beautiful. As each one of you are growing closer to God, you're also growing closer together. Because you see, that's this duo that you are, husband and wife, God put you together in a way to be the, there for each other, to fight a battle that you, by yourself, you, you'll find that the, the strength it seems like is not there. And God says, listen, I've, I've given you a battle, buddy. I've get, but, but the key is that both of you are growing in your relationship with God. So you find the strength that you need to defeat the foe. Look at the last verse, verse 11. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. That's a word of praise. It's a word of hope. God is always in charge. He hasn't given up. God is still in charge of your life and he has something amazing for you to, if you will turn your life to him, how does this apply to you? Let me, let me look at it this way. Number one, recognize there is an enemy who's out to destroy you. Never, never forget that. But number two, there is a God who is bigger than the enemy. There is a God who is never defeated and the cross and the resurrection prove that once and for all. My question is, do you know him personally? Have you, as we've heard testimony today, have you invited that resurrected Savior to be your forgiver, your, your Savior, your Lord? Are you following him with your life? There's an enemy, but he's already been defeated. If you follow the Savior, then you follow that, that hope and that reality. But let me just speak to the married couples one last time for this weekend. Will you commit or recommit yourselves to say, you know what, rather than fighting each other, we're gonna get whatever help, whatever counsel we need, but we're gonna turn and we're gonna fight this battle together and see the Satan destroyed because of what God's gonna to do to our marriage. In fact, I wanna give you one last, it's a prayer. I would call it a warfare prayer for all of the couples. And maybe couples, in just a moment we, as we pray, maybe this would be a prayer or something like this you would pray on your own. If you're not married, there's still things in here you can get. Let me just read it for you. Oh Lord, my strength, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's what he wants to do with our marriage. Help me to trust in your authority against the work of the adversary, and help us both to remember that we shouldn't be fighting each other, but rather standing together against his strategies. Help us to be vigilant in his attacks against us, and to remember the victories we have experienced together, and God's people said, amen. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Their heads bowed and eyes closed. Musicians come and we're going to wrap up this service today. I, I don't know what God has said to you, but I pray that whatever he's spoken to you, you will take a moment and, and apply that. Maybe it's you're here today and you're, you wonder what all this is about, this baptism and following Jesus. We'd love to share with you what that looks like. We'd love for you to know him personally, the God who has already won the victory. Maybe today you come and there'll, there'll be some people here you could just come and ask, what does that look like? Or you can fill it on your card and say, I'd like to know more about him. Maybe you need to come and just say, God, I, 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 Satan's been winning too long. I, I, I can, I'm gonna resist him in your power. I'm gonna, I want it. But maybe couples, you wanna come. And one last thing as we end this weekend is just pray together, God, help us to fight side by side rather than fighting each other. Lord, we love you. Thank you for what you've done for us. The enemy is real, but God, you are not only bigger, you have already defeated the enemy. If we submit to you and trust in you, we can resist and see you win the victory. Father, please show us that today. Work in the hearts of each individual and in these married couples today to come back out side by side as battle buddies and let you win the victory. 
in our lives, in our families, in our marriages. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. The music begins. I invite you to follow. God is saying that.